Welcome to Dead Headspace, a part of Silver Shamrock's HorrorCast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we examine classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we are sharing the stage with guest host, first-time guest host, Tyler Jones. Say hi, Tyler. Hello. And Tyler is responsible for one of our roundtables this year where we talked with him um, and a few others. Brennan was a guest and uh, we talked about parents that have um, uh, they use art as an outlet when uh, they are dealing with varying children with disabilities. And that was Tyler made a few of us cry. So check that out, too. It was pretty gut punching at times and funny and then not. Uh, and then today we have guest, the guest, uh, Philip Fricassi. Apologies on this awful introduction. He is the author of the most recent book, Beneath a Pale Sky. Say hi, Philip. Hi, Philip. <laughs> First episode Philip was on was episode 11. That was June 2020. So that's been a, a seems like a lifetime. What have it you does. been up to? Man, that seems like a lot longer ago than a year. Yeah. It's been a long year, I guess, uh, for everybody. That's the yeah. mask. Um, that was a joke. Uh, I didn't hear, I couldn't hear you broke up. What did you I, say? I, I miss- we're past this mask thing now. Yeah. I was going to wear a mask when we started the video just to be funny, and then I realized it wasn't that funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been busy, right? Um, uh, you know, working. Uh, I did a, I did a six months on a TV show. Uh, called Why Women Kill since we last spoke. Um, I've uh, been writing a lot, obviously. Uh, I've uh, you know written, in, written a couple novels and uh, some shorter stuff. And, um, and 2019 or 2020 was obviously kind of um, the quarantine year, right? So I was uh, taking advantage of that, not having to go to work and... and um, and yeah, I just, just got a ton of writing done. It felt great to, in, I guess, silver lining, right? But it felt great just to have all that time to work and, um, and catch up on some projects that I wanted to catch up on. If, like I said, finish those couple novels and, um, and things have been falling into place nicely. Um, you know, this year, uh, in kind of a, a rush of book releases, um, just the way it kind of all, fell into place on, you know, for, for better or for worse, I'm constantly promoting, you know, a, a different book and I'm sure I'm annoying most of the people on social media, but, um, as an author, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta pimp your, your stuff and, and not just for me, also for the publisher who, you know, put a lot of effort and money into the product. So you want to do your part and, um, but yeah, it's been good. It's been an interesting year. I got a lot of fun stuff coming up and, um, and I'm, I've been cranking out new work, and uh, it's it's exciting. When uh, one guy I see constantly like super into your books and interacting with you is a uh, Mark Laidlaw. Yeah, yeah, the guy. For those that don't know, Mark Laidlaw is uh, probably the biggest driving force as to why Half Life, the late '90s PC uh, game, was so successful with the following sequel, Half Life Two, and two 
extended uh, games. So that's pretty cool, man. To me, he's one of the most influential writers uh, of my adolescence, and he's genuinely a, I think, fair to say, a, a legend in his uh, right for that industry. So that's pretty sure. neat, huh? Yeah, and he's a fantastic horror writer. You know, he's written a few books. Thirty Seventh Mandala was was a big, a big cornerstone kind of horror book. You know, um, and uh, yeah, he's a good guy. He's a friend of mine. So uh, he actually recently moved to Los Angeles uh, from Hawaii. So we're in the same space now, and so we get to have lunch and hang out. And um, yeah, I just saw Mark uh, at my. I did a book signing on Saturday. This past Saturday, a couple of days ago. So. And he came by, it was very nice of him, and hung out. And uh, yeah, great guy, great writer. Pick up his books. Read uh, 37th Mandala. Uh, just one more point on Mark, and then one of you fellas, please jump in. He, um, When we had him on, he was talking about how he wrote this basically. Uh, it was an article on id, the company responsible for games like Quake, uh, Doom, um, I think Wolfenstein. And it, it's just really neat. Uh, I'm sure, like some of you guys and a lot of listeners, big into the older video games as a kid. So um, that's what Twitter does, man. It grants you the opportunity to talk to people that you probably were a fan of as a kid. So, uh, Tyler, you're the guest host. Why don't you jump in, man? You got it. Uh, it's an honor to be here and, and to meet you in person, Philip. And we've chatted before on the phone but it's different when you see someone face to face so it's an honor to be here and chatting with you um i messaged you what like a week ago about the collection let you know mm. I, I loved it um beneath the pale sky um part of what i am affectionately referring to as your b tr trilogy behold right. the void beneath the pale sky boys in the valley coming soon um so it's it's cool to see some of your some of the older stories like Fragile Dreams, you know, which had a an individual release years ago, right? Yeah, it's cool to see it um, have a home again in this. And I'm, I'm curious: are there were there any stories that you decided not to include in this collection that you could have? And if so, hmm. what made these ones make the cut? Um. Yeah, I've got a lot of other stories. Um, actually, I've already assembled a third collection uh, that my agent is shopping right now. So, uh, and, you know, I think I'm less of a theme guy than I think some writers are. I'm, um, but there's definitely, it's not so much thematic compilation as much as it is tonal compilation. I, I, um, I definitely try and for, you know, at the at the expense of sounding like an artist, uh, I try and orchestrate, you know, a, a series of a series of events for the reader. I, I prefer my collections to be read in order. I just I'm happy if they're just read. But, you know, if I were to have my say, um, because I do try and create a sort of flow uh, with the uh, with the stories, which is largely based on tone also to some degree based on length um you know i don't the story this book opens with actually two longer pieces <clears throat> both of them original to the collection which um i liked that idea I, I one lesson i learned with behold the void was i put my kind of hero original novella at the end of that book and what i was 
realizing as people were reading it and giving me feedback that a lot of people didn't make it to the end only because, you know, they were enjoying the book or whatever, but it's a story collection. So the, the way people read story collections is they read a story or a couple of stories and they read something else and they go back and they read another story and they go read something. So not a lot of people read it straight through, I don't think. But so, you know, I think the, you know, the, you know, percentages were dwindling as the book, you know, the book went on. So I, if I could do it again, I would put that, my, the story Mandala, which um, people really seem to enjoy, you know, I would have put it at the head of the book. So I, with this book, I didn't make that mistake. I, I put my hero novella at the front, actually by two front, you know, my two hero longer pieces at the front because I wanted people to make, I want to make sure people read those. Um, and then Fragile Dreams, and which you referenced, and Death, My Old Friend, uh, which I think make a nice one-two punch. Um, I'd try and really wear the reader down with Fragile Dreams, and then I kind of like give them the, give them the emotional gut punch with Death, My Old Friend. So I, I'm absolutely trying to make people cry. Um, and, uh, so, so yeah, so I, I know those have been, those have been released before. So I put those at the back. Um, and yeah, and then the collection I have that I've assembled that's out being shopped right now is totally very different than the first two collections. I'm really going for, um, a sort of pulpy, uh, feel. I'm, you know, the working title, hopefully it will be the title, but you never know. The publisher may have a say but the working title is no one is safe. And I want it to be like, uh, uh, shorter stories, more, you know, more shorter stories that are all a little more fun, you know, a little less dread inducing and more like pulpy, uh, bloody horror, um, violent. And, you know, the kind of stuff that you can take, take uh, on an airplane or to a beach and sort of like, and burn through in a, in a few hours. So, um, so yeah, I do think about it, but it, like I said, I think it's primarily tone and then I, I try and just make an, I try and make an even nice experience for the reader so that they kind of flow from one thing to the next, um, and don't get overwhelmed at any point, I guess. That's cool. As a, as a reader, I thought it was really cool to open up the book with those two longer works because, you know, when you open a collection, you're not sure quite what to expect. And when I got to harvest and you see part one. I'm like, oh, right on. Yeah, right. We're in yeah. we're in for a journey here. And, yeah. Which was a really cool intro to the collection and to 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 spend some time with that story rather than just done and on to the next. Yeah. Yeah. I like that story. I think it turned out okay. Um and people seem to people seem to enjoy that one and the wheel, which is the follow-up. Uh so I'm that makes me very happy because uh you don't you know, you're a little it's a little nerve-wracking, right? You don't want um to open with a sour note. Uh, so, uh, so far the reception has been good on those two stories, which is, which is very pleasing to me. Well, since we're on harvest, um, is it okay to go into spoiler territory? Is that okay or no? Uh, that's up to Patrick. Oh, I don't care. No, it's up to the author. In my opinion, I don't care. Okay. I mean, (laughs) spoiler alert. I mean, I guess we're as long as we're telling people, Fast forward. Yeah, if you if you haven't read Harvest, I'm I don't want to go into like too many specifics, right. um, but I did I did want to ask about that story because it's um, it's really cool, it's really unique, and it's um, a love story. I would say, oh, yeah. um, 
and I thought it was really a, a cool choice to frame this um, this young man's gifts or his powers, so to speak, uh, as memories from this from this woman who's about to get married to someone else. So she's it takes place in the church the whole time, right? I mean, right. That's where we are in the present, present day, but then we yeah. we go back. Um, and it really just keeps it emotionally engaging. And, um, I was curious just about when you wrote it and you framed all of that, were you thinking of at any point telling it in a linear fashion or was it always your decision to show us what he was capable of through her eyes? Yeah. Well, I wanted it to be a slow reveal. So, um, so for, in that scenario, in that sense, I I definitely wanted to stagger it over the course of the story. So you kind of got a little bit of a taste for, for his abilities. And, and, um, and then as the story went on, I foreshadow kind of what happens at the end, um, by showing sort of what it costs him physically to what the sacrifice is for him. Uh, to protect her. And, um, and so, yeah, that obviously became, you know, a, a, a big point of the story later. Uh, and, you know, I just, a lot of times I put myself in the situations of my characters. And what I mean by that is when you go, if you were to go, you know, you may not think about your ex for years, but if you get invited to her wedding, you're going to be thinking about her a lot, right? So, and I got remembering all the things that you guys did together or whatever. So I thought it made sense for a lot of that, you know, memory digging to come up when she, like when she sees him enter the chapel, you have your first flashback. And I think that's very natural. I think that's how it would happen in real life. You would see somebody and it would spark a, a memory. And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of why I, I went that route. And then also I have a tendency to like the slow build to the, the horror as it, as it were, if you've read my story, alter or mother, or even the, you know, the wheel, which we talked about, I like to, I like to really set up all the chess pieces on the board for you, hopefully in an entertaining fashion. Um, and then start, you know, knocking it all, (laughs) knocking it all down. Um, but yes, that way I think also, if I think uh, if if I can get you to care about the the characters and if I can get you to invest in them, it's going to be that much more effective when I put them in harm's way. Well, you do it really, really well in that story. It's incredibly Thank effective. Thank you. Yeah. And I also another thing I love, and I, I love it whenever stories do this, is they present the fantastic. And just leave it there unexplained. It just mm-hmm. is, you know. And I, I, I love that. It, it's, it's the worst, you know, when somebody tries to to go into the minutia of why someone is what they are, can do what they can do. Yeah, and I did. Yeah, I agree. And I think because it doesn't matter, right? Like that's not the point. The point is their relationship and what he does for her, and you know, and that's the point. So. The point isn't, you know, that he, you know, was, you know, abducted by aliens and given the superpowers. But I do actually in that spoiler, I do actually. Well, he doesn't fly and stuff, but I do actually. um, (laughs) Or does he? 
I, I do dip into that pool a little bit in one of the flashbacks. I think it's the red eye flashback red. I can't remember. Different drafts. Are different. Um, but, and I did that because I wanted to at least offer a little, if not explanation, but I wanted to at least um, show that something in, there's something unusual about this person and something unusual happened to him. And I, I obviously, I don't explain what it is. I have my ideas in my head, but, but, I, but I, and I, I thought that was, and that was sort of a question mark for me, whether to keep that in the story. And I ultimately kept it because I, I, I wanted to give the readers a little, um, you know, a little uh, scotch with their chocolate cake. You know, I wanted them to have, you know, the luxury of, of sort of at least getting a, a little bit of the background story. Um, and, uh, and so I ultimately left it in there. And I thought it was kind of creepy, too. Um, and also maybe uh, address some of his emotional entanglements, uh, neediness um, to a degree, too. So. Um, yeah, but it's a good story. I mean, it's a story I like. I'm happy with the way it turned out. Um, with any story, you just try and write the best story you can. And some people are going to like it and some people are not going to like it because it's art and art is subjective. And that's OK. You know, I just hope more people like it than don't. That's, <laughs> that's all I hope for. It'll play the numbers on that one. So after... <laughs> Harvest is the wheel and you know i suppose mild spoilers on this but i think that if you get a page or two in you know once once you see the ferris wheel you're going to flip back to the cover and you know so i, I i'm wondering what uh made you decide that that was that was the correct imagery for the cover uh that francois valancourt did yeah it wasn't me it was francois um francois valancourt as you said he was the uh, artist uh, who uh, did the cover and did such an amazing job. I'm so, so <laughs> grateful to him. Um, and he's such a great person. And we've worked together now. This this is actually our second book together. So, and I will definitely work with him again. We, uh, he likes, I think, my stuff. And, 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 I, and I, I think his, his uh, aesthetic is perfect for a lot of what I do, I think. So, um, yeah, he, he, he read, um, I sent him, I think a few, three or four stories and he read them all and he, that was, that was his decision. He, he, uh, pitched it, um, as the cover art and I immediately fell in love with it. Steve Berman at Lathi, uh, the same, felt the same way. And so, yeah, so it was his, it was all him. Uh, I just said, I gave him some ideas of, um, you know, I, I, pulled some of his other work and showed him some, you know, this is kind of what I'm looking for um, direction wise, but, but the image, the image of the Ferris wheels was Francois's idea. And I think it's so interesting that you mentioned earlier about, you know, setting up the pieces and then knocking them down because that's, that's essentially the first half of, of the story is, you know, meeting the ride operator, meeting the different people on the different cars, getting to know a little bit about them and then plunging into this, this situation that seems so extreme, but at the same time, it's very grounded, no pun yeah. intended. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious, the uh, uh, go into spoilers as much as you want, I suppose. That seems to be the theme of the night. But uh, 
where did you come up with like that idea? Is it something that, you know, has always freaked you out? Something you've thought about before? Well, Brennan, the first thing I always think about when writing a story is how am I going to kill these people? Um, All right, Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) How am I going to kill you? Let me think. Um, In any other job, (laughs) be a problem. (laughs) I like you. How are you going to die? You know, I I don't really remember writing. I mean, I remember writing the story. I don't remember the how that all got put together uh in my head um i actually wrote that story a, that's it's a it's a, actually a fairly old story um i've uh to be honest um and this has been announced but i think it was like three years ago i sold that story to cemetery dance as a standalone signature series novella and that novella is going to come out uh as a limited edition hardcover so that yeah the wheel will have a second life um with uh with a cemetery dance signed limited edition i've already signed the signature sheets i've seen glenn chadbourne's illustrations what i have not seen and i need to talk to glenn about this is when Glenn sent me, he's such a Glenn Chadbourne, by the way, another amazing artist, sweetheart. I love, I'm, I'm, we'll get into Glenn in Boys in the Valley in a beat, but, um, but Glenn sent me the original, some of the original illustrations they did for the interior of the Cemetery Dance edition of The Wheel, and they're awesome. And, and I think I actually posted one of them a while back, but, um, and Richard Chismar was cool with it, so that was fine. But, um, yeah, but, but he, anyway, I was talking to him about that, and he told me, and I don't think he'll mind me saying this, he was like, man, you've got to see the cover. It's probably one of the better things I've ever done. And I was like, I would, yeah, I definitely want to see the cover. And so I emailed, this is like three years ago, I emailed uh, Brian Freeman, and I said, can I see the cover? And, and, uh, and he did not send it to me, so I actually haven't seen it. So I'm very excited to see the final product. But yeah, so the wheel will exist at some point with Cemetery Dance, you never know. Um, but it's been a few years, I think, since I sold it to them. So that's kind of a cool thing. I'm excited to see that the the standalone version of that story with Glenn's illustrations and everything inside of it. It'll be cool. Did Brian reply to you? No, but that's okay. <laughs> I think he was busy. Um but yeah, you know, those guys are pretty mom and pop, right? So they, uh, they've got a lot going on. They got Stephen King calling them and stuff like that. I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, high on the, uh, totem pole. So, um, I, I get it, but, um, but I'm, but I was very excited when Richard bought the story. Yeah, actually he had done at the time, he had done an open call for the magazine mm. and I sent him that story for the magazine and I was completely blown away when he emailed me back and said we're just gonna buy this as a book and we're gonna put it out as a book and i was like all right well that's bucket list check right so um but now it's just got to come out so hopefully hopefully yeah uh, hopefully it will in the next couple of years i don't know but but he, they uh, they blessed me putting it into the collection um so technically now the cemetery dance edition will be a reprint 
Yeah, I was going to say uh, Cemetery Dance is absolutely a bucket list for, I'm just going to say, anyone that's smart and is like, hey, I want my name under this pre- under this press, man. That's yeah, I, I, I'm such a huge fan of that press. I'm such a huge fan of Richard uh, Chismar, who's been really great to me. Um, you know, he, he blurbed one of my novellas. He's, you know, he and I have actually, you know, we, we stay in contact and, um, and we may be doing something else in the future. I don't know, but, um, but yeah, he's, a, it's a great press. I, I, and I think, and the books are, I'm a book collector, right? So <laughs> yeah. one out of 10 walls in my house that are covered with books. Um, and, and I, you know, owned a bookstore, you know, rare bookstore for a decade. So I know a quality book when I hold it and cemetery dance, they make quality books. They make nice, well-bound, you know, beautiful products. So I don't, I don't even think I told this when we talked with Rich, but the first time I was introduced to cemetery dance was probably going back like only five years ago. And my friend who's a big Stephen King fan said, you got to check these out. And he had a whole, section dedicated cemetery dance books and i was like blown away the first one i saw and i read it was um i might be messing up the title but the dark man by stephen king the sure. poem. yeah is that is that the title yeah it's like yeah. the little that little one every you know what man it's like a steve jobs presentation everything looks aesthetically pleasing everything is yang and lang, yang and yang just uh it balances out and it's beautiful and it's yeah. also that randall flag illustration i'm like ah, i wouldn't want to fuck with that guy i think that was glenn i think glenn chadborn did the artwork for that didn't he i think it might have been i think glenn. i think you're right yeah oh okay so i am a fan of him then didn't even yeah. realize that. he does he does a lot of stephen king um he does a lot of cemetery dance work uh and um yeah, so I got to work with Glenn on on that the novella, which I just spoke ad nauseum about. And then he's also he also did the cover for my debut novel, which is coming out on Halloween. So, okay, uh, hey Brennan, you know what? I think an intermission of this anthology just super quick to break for John C. Foster's question. Would you mind reading that? Both of them, or? There's two. I thought you had one question. Well, you know, I'm I'm going to take his first question at face value, which uh, you know, John Foster would like to know why you wear a hat all the time. <laughs> Foster, listen, listen. If I had Foster's luxurious lion-esque mane of silver hair, right? Well, black. Sorry, John. Black and silver hair. I probably wouldn't wear that. But those guys who don't have a lot of hair. Yeah, we wear the, we wear the hats because yeah. I, frankly, I feel vulnerable without it, and I don't, I don't like I don't like being that exposed. Um, I also wear hats because I like to uh, pretend I'm not fifty, and that I'm actually thirty, and I'm a young upstart writer making his way, like Mary Tyler Moore, um, when I'm actually like an old curmudgeon who's basically on death's door writing as he's falling into the grave the last <laughs> um this particular hat uh is the axe den which is uh a fictional bar 
in the movie Werewolves Within. And my wife, who works for Ubisoft Film and Television, who produced the movie, um, directed by Josh Rubin, available on VOD everywhere, um, uh, she got me the hat. So I'm I'm, kind of doing like a little side promotion um, for that. Uh, Yeah, we welcome any plug-in. And I don't always wear a baseball hat, John. Jesus. Yeah, John. What's the second question, Brennan? Yeah. Jerk. Well, actually, before we get into the second question, I just wanted uh, you guys to know that if at any point uh, Tyler is making you uncomfortable with his hair, we can ask him to leave. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> please. His big, fat, smart brain always makes me uncomfortable. It makes me realize how fucking dumb I am. So, yeah. Take your smart so, brain with you. Yeah, smart brain. John's second question is slightly more serious. It's probably food related, if I know John. Related, it's not. No, um, we'll have to we'll have to get some food related questions for oh, him yeah. at some. But go check out his uh, Instagram feed. Guy loves his food. Yeah, uh, and John he, uh, has a book coming out called Rooster. Go buy it. Great Matter Press. As a, it's coming out tomorrow, and it's yeah. uh, I'm about eighty five percent through it, and it's oh, uh, it's really too. good. So, but yeah, I'm. Just, I'm, yep. I'm, I want to read it. I haven't, I, he's, I've read John's, uh, John and I, uh, uh, beta read each other's work. Uh, and, um, John's a good friend. Obviously I think I've made that clear through my jesting with him, but, um, again, I've read one of his future novels recently and it was very good. So I'm, I'm excited for Rooster to come out and, and for him to, he's got a bunch of stuff going on. So he's a good writer. He's going to be coming on in uh, a week from now. Oh, good. Awesome. I'll make sure to ask some appropriate oh, questions. We would very much so appreciate that. So, so actually, um, you know, this this actually ties into what we were talking about earlier. You know, it's been a little over a year since last time we had you on, and you know, you were talking about how obviously all the sets were sending everybody home. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, pandemic, uh, but now you're back to work. So uh, John would like you to uh, give a little insight on balancing writing with uh, work on locations and productions. Oh, oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I guess for people listening might not know, I, I my quote unquote day job is I work in film and TV production. I'm a location, uh, what's called a key assistant location manager, which basically means I'm in charge of the locations uh, when they are filming and in the way it works is that's there's three or four locations over the course of a week or two we we have like there's three or four of us guys or gals and we each take one and that's our like our location so i'm in charge of the church and he's in charge of the park and so and so's in charge of the bus station or whatever so that's kind of how it works but and we did deal the permitting we got to get everybody in there and parked and bathrooms and police and fire things and for blowing stuff up it's a, you know so we kind of make sure everything goes smoothly um uh the way it actually works in my favor to some degree because the way i write is um it's a it's very immersive um i don't think i would be able to write as much if i had a nine to five job and then tried to carve out time in the evening or on the weekends to work um just because of the just just because of my particular writing style and habits so for me to be able to do 
a, a television show and work for like five months on that show um, and then to have three or four months off, I can just focus 100% on writing during that time. And it, it allows me to be much more productive. And I don't, the other side of the coin is I don't write when I'm working on a show, a film or a TV show, because frankly, it's impossible because production, you're working 12, 13, 14 hour days. You're working insane hours. You're getting up at two in the morning or three in the morning. You're getting home at six or seven in the morning, you know, working all nighters. So you're not like going, oh, I'm going to carve out a couple hours and write. You're exhausted. You sleep on the weekends. So, uh, so yeah, so it works out for my style. It actually works out well, which is I basically split my time. Uh, when I'm working, I'm working. And when I'm not working, I'm writing. Um, and it, it's, it's worked out pretty well for me. I'm trying to slowly you know, have more months when I'm writing and less months when I'm doing the location thing. And, you know, that the, the, you know, the, the, the balance is shifting slightly. Um, so, uh, that's the goal is to keep that, you know, trending. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but that's how I do it. I, I, I'm either writing or I'm not. Um, so when I am writing, I literally am writing, I'm at my desk eight to 10 hours a day. Like I Holy write, shit. I'm up at eight, you know, eight in the morning. I'm at my desk. Uh, I write for three or four hours, and then I like work out or nap or eat or whatever, and then I work a couple hours in the afternoon, and then I have dinner and maybe watch a TV show with my wife or hang out with my kid, and then and then I work another you know two or three hours at night, um, sometimes more if I'm if I'm if I'm working on a novel. Uh, you know, I, it can be kind of insane. I, you know, I might not leave the office all day. So, um, cause I get really invested and I, I like to just, I like to just write. Uh, I don't do the, like, I'm going to write 1000 words and then I'm going to go, you know, take the rest of the day off. I like to just kind of write while I can. And I, you know, I, I, um, I have a sort of panic about writing. Um, I have a lot of stuff I want to write. Um, and, uh, and I was kind of kidding before about being older, but I, reality is I am older and, um, a little behind the eight ball, you know, um, with my writing career, uh, now a lot of writers start, you know, I was only published for the first time three years ago. So four years ago now. So, um, so I feel like I'm playing a lot of catch up. Uh, so that's, you know, I'm very driven to get as much content, uh, on paper as I can, while I can, uh, I would love to spend the next however many years I'm graced with, you know, just cranking out as many books and stories as I as I as I can. So when I do pass or whatever, I hopefully I leave something behind that somebody wants to wants to read again or or you know has in their library, and that's enough for me. You know, that's very fulfilling for me. I'm okay with that. That's excellent. Um, yeah. Now I'm. When you have one of your eight to 10 hour days, you know, you said you start off with, let's say, four hours in the morning and then you take a break. Do you find that, you know, after that three or four hours that you're fried and drained or do you have to kind of make yourself take a break? No, I'm usually pretty ready to take a break. Uh, I I try not to over overdo it. Um, but. Yeah, I, a good day for me is like 3,000 words. 
uh, that's a good solid day. Sometimes I don't do that. Sometimes I do it. You know, sometimes it's not flowing and I'm on Twitter half the time and I'm, you know, chipping away, whatever. <laughs> but, um, but I'm at that desk, I'm in that chair. Um, but, um, yeah, so, you know, sometimes it's less, but I try and do about 3000 words a day. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, I'll be, especially when I get closer to the end of the story or the end of the book, I, I don't want to stop. I get very aggressive. Um, and I will work like a possessed, you know, person. And, um, and I'll do like when I finished boys in the Valley, uh, I wrote, that's an, okay. That's a 90,000 word novel. I wrote over 10,000 words the last day when I, you know, finishing that book. So let's stop on that real quick. Just super quick. 10,000 words. How the hell do you feel after that? Usually, you know, that's a weird thing about writing is, um, it's people don't really understand. And even I don't think I understand, but it's exhausting. It's, um, it's physically exhausting. It's, it's emo, it's, it's very draining. Uh, I think you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, the brain controls the body. And I think, uh, when you are in really intensely thinking and really intensely creating and, um, for long stretches of time, it definitely is exhausting. I, um, when I finished that book, I, I took a few days, absolutely. Uh, to kind of like just you know, lay around and read and relax and, um, and sleep. And, um, yeah, it, it, it can be exhausting. So that's why I said, really, I try not to push myself too hard because I, I've learned that it is exhausting and I don't want to kill myself day, you know, one day and then be too, you know, too worn out the next day to, to sit down and do some work. So I try to, I try to give myself breaks. I've gone as far as 4,500 words in a day and I just was, I was like, I think I might need a few days off. So that's crazy. 10,000 well, words. My God, man. Well, it depends too, right? Like sometimes, I, you know, the the way I've said it previously is, you know, sometimes it's like pushing a boulder up a hill and, you know, each word's like a boulder up a hill. And sometimes it's like a sneeze, you know, and the 10,000 words spray across the page. It's It really depends on the what you're writing. Um, and if you're, but man, when you hit that, you know, when you hit that groove, uh, and you're going like I, I go, um, and I don't like to be interrupted and I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't get out of the chair and, uh, and I'm, I'm laser focused and I'm there in the moment with those characters. And, um, and it's, it, it's intense. It's a, it's a beautiful intensity. I, it's one of my favorite feelings in the world. Um, it's such a high and, uh, and that's why I love doing what I do. Do you um, do you typically plot, or do you do you just what do they call it? A pantser? Panther versus plotter. Yeah, um, I am a plotter. I um, with my novels, um, the plotting is intensive. Uh, I usually have between fifty and sixty beats. Um, broken by chapter, I know what, and then I have my notes. I use Scrivener for that. So I create each beat. So it'll be chapter one. And then I'll have like these five things are going to happen. And then I have notes within each of those five things, things I want to make sure I touch on or, 
or accents for the characters or whatever it features, you know, what they look like or things I want them to say, I'll think about, I'll make a note. But, um, but I definitely heavily plot out my novel. The last thing I want to do when I'm writing a book is have to stop and be like, Hmm, what happens now? And then have to like, think about that. I don't want to, I don't work that way. I, I spend a lot of time outlining I spend a lot of time, you know, creating that structure so that when I actually start writing on page one, I know exactly where I'm going. I know what's going to happen. I know what the next scene is. I know what the next chapter is. And I, and it, especially like with the book I'm, I just finished last week, um, you know, I, it's a thriller, right? It's a mystery thriller. So I don't, I want to know where I'm going so that I can plant little things along the way. And a lot of people say, well, you can go back and do that. Yes and no, because I've read a lot. Of, I read a lot of thrillers. And sometimes to me, it sticks out as obvious, like that doesn't fit there. And you just went back there and jammed that in there because you needed to have that moment. But it doesn't read right. Um, so I definitely like to know where I'm going. Now, that's not saying I don't change my mind along the way. Um, it's not saying I don't make change. I, I do. I, I, you know, I was this book I just finished, I I think I was about halfway, three quarters of the way through, and I went and I had and I kind of stopped and I kind of rethought how I wanted to do something. And I actually wanted to add another character, like a sort of a C story. So I ended up kind of going back and moving some stuff around um, because, yeah, when you're writing, uh, two things happen. One is sometimes your characters don't do what you want them to do, right? Um, and so they take you a little bit of a different direction. And I allow that, you know, I let that happen. I want to see where it's going. And then other times, um, you know, you just the book is flowing a little bit differently than you had thought it would. Um, so maybe it's a pacing thing. Um, so you don't want this scene after this, you know, scene A after scene B after scene C, because now it feels like maybe it's too slow or maybe it feels like it's not enough happening or maybe it's too much exposition or whatever. So you move it around because of that. So I do make changes, but I do plot very heavily. I'm also, you know, I'm a screenwriter. Um, so historically, so I've learned about structuring plots, uh, with screenplays. And so that I use that very much in my novels. Now, when I write short stories, I don't do that. I don't, I would, I, uh, short stories tend to be a bit more organic. Um, I do know how they will end. Uh, and I pretty much know, you know, the major beats that I want to hit. But everything that happens in between uh, is is kind of uh, while I'm writing it. So uh, they're a little more spontaneous. But I but I always know where I'm going. I'm never just making it up as I go along and hoping it gets becomes interesting at some point. Um, because I don't think that works very well, frankly. So um, so yeah. So I'd like to know where I'm headed. Now, so with a with a story like. Um like say soda jerk for example as far as i know the first appearance or when i first read it it was included with shiloh mm -hmm. is that the first is that when it was first published yeah yeah it's okay so, yeah so when you include it when it comes in in a collection like this and that's been years since shiloh came out do you use the opportunity to make any changes to the story or do you just let it be what it what it always has been I use the opportunity to proof the story. Um, 
but I don't change the story, no. Uh, no, I mean, I've had the unfortunate slash fortunate um, uh, experience of having a publisher and then having to tear my work away from that publisher and find another publisher and do it all over again. Um, with Behold the Void, I've actually done that twice. Uh, Lati is the third publisher to publish that book. So the first, the second publisher was Lovecraft Easing. That was a different situation where it was, you know, we, Mike and I are, Davis, the, the uh, guy who runs Easing, he and I are friends, and he was helping me out. And then I kind of, you know, segued into Lati, but the, you know, Journal Stone was my initial publisher and that was a nightmare. So, um, so, uh, uh, I, I forgot the question, but so no, I don't, oh no, I don't, I don't change the story. I, I did, I, I do use, like I said, I, I took the opportunity since I was republishing like Build the Void, for example, I did take the opportunity to do like another proofread. Um, I have Alt, Alter is coming out, which is the story in Build the Void, for those who don't know. Alter is coming out in a deluxe edition uh, with a bonus story and a John Langan introduction. And Francois Valancourt did the artwork for that. Um, and I, that story, I, I don't want to say I changed it, but I sort of, I fiddled with the structure a little bit. Um, some of that was because of the way it was being presented as a, as a sort of like a standalone book. But um, also, I just, I was correct. You know, I wrote Alter. Alter was like the third story I ever wrote. So wow. third horror story. I've been a writer for 30 years, but my third horror, like it was like the third, I think, yeah, the third horror story I ever wrote. So it was Mother, and then I wrote Surfer Girl, and then I wrote Alter. Um, and so I've <laughs> learned a lot since I wrote that story in 2015 or whatever. So I, um, and I become a better writer. So I, I definitely use that opportunity to kind of tweak it and uh, clean up a little couple hiccups. Um, but I did, no, I, I would never change the story, uh, from one edition to the next, um, as sort of jerk. I don't think I really did much of anything. I think it was just a couple typos or whatever. Um, but that story pretty much adapted straight from how it was to how it is. And I, and I did that because the edition, the edition of Shiloh that Soto jerk was originally published in went out of print. So I had that story then it was free. Um, so that's why I put it in into the collection. And I have a novella coming out in uh, August slash September sometime called Commodore, which is actually a prequel to Soda Jerk. So mm -hmm. I wanted it to be in the collection because I knew Commodore would be coming out right around the same time. So that way people could read them together if they wanted to. Was there more to that, Tyler? No, that was it. I Brennan had started to ask a question, and I interrupted him to oh. squeeze squeeze mine in there. Oh no, that's okay. Uh, you know what? Actually, I wanna I wanna take us to uh, death, my old friend. You know, I, I told you that that was my not only my favorite story in the collection, but it, it's my favorite story I've read in in a while. Um, I got to the end of that one and just kind of sat there with the book open on my lap and. The last time I remember doing that was uh, Joe Hill's "You Are Released," uh, one of my one of my all time favorites, and 
you know, I don't know if, if everybody's read that story, but it's just th- this one just absolutely hit me. And it's just every word was perfect, man. Um, so my question for you is I kind of want to know a little bit about the origin of the idea, because at its heart, it's simple. Uh, it, it's it's a little kid whose best friend is death. But if you told me that's the plot, I can think of, you know, top of my head, 50 different ways that can go. And as much as, you know, the beauty is in examining life and death, um, there's there's a lot of examining, you know, friendship over time as well that really caught my attention. So I, I just want to hear a little bit about the story from you. Yeah, well, thank you. It's nice of you to say. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head. That story is about friendship. Um, and it's about relationships that you carry with you from, you know, from when you are very young to when you are very old and, and beyond. Um, it, it's going to be a little bit of a disappointment, I think, but death, my old friend. So I wrote fragile dreams, um, and I turned it into the publisher. This is back in 2015, 2016, 2016. Um, and he was like, it's great. I love it. It's a great story. I want to print it. I want to publish it. But because the page count is too low for blah 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 publishing reason i need i need another story to go with it i need you to add um a short story and i was like uh okay and i said when do you need it by because i need it as soon as possible because we know we're ready to go or whatever and um i sat down one evening and i don't I don't know where the idea came from, but I wrote that story in one night um, straight through. And I, and I don't think I really changed it that much. Um, and and I, I did some cleaning up on the rewrites. I had some beta readers. I had, uh, in particular, I had a, um, a British reader because uh, the, the characters are British and I used some British terminology and so I had a couple of my Brit friends read it to make sure that I wasn't saying anything incorrectly, which I wasn't, or they they helped me correct it. Um, you weren't a bell end, huh? Oh, you don't know that one, a bell end? No, what's a bell end? Um, I understand it's the British bell end. It's the British equivalent of a dickhead. <laughs> no, I was not a bell end. Um, <laughs> a bell end. I was chuffed. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, so it was, so, but yeah, I, so anyway, so I, yeah, so I wrote that story in, in one night and, um, and then I did, uh, like I said, I did, I did maybe a couple of days of quick edits. I sent it to a few people and I turned it in a week later and, um, and then I put it in this book because it was originally coupled with Fragile Dreams. So I wanted to kind of keep that going and I, and I mentioned it earlier and I was kind of half kidding, but I kind of half wasn't, which is I, I, I liked the idea of. Uh, ending on that note, I like the idea of taking people through Fragile Dreams, which is a very long story and very brutal story, uh, uh, very uncomfortable story, um, and really, you know, messing with the works in in, in readers' heads and kind of getting them to a vulnerable place and then hitting them with the sweet sugar at the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to really screw with them. So that was kind of the idea. Um, and um, 
yeah, it worked out. I mean, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And I love that story too. I actually, I think it would be a really good movie or, or, or you know, I think I would like to say, I, I think it'd be a lot of fun to see that adapted uh, in sort of a you know, very, keeping that sort of light tone. But but there are some, there are some sinister moments in that story too. Um, uh, some, you know, this, the scene, I'm not spoiling anything, but, you know, the scene when he is in the other guy's bedroom, uh, that's like one of the creepier scenes I've ever written. Like that scene really freaked me out when I wrote it. I remember very vividly writing it and being really kind of upset. Um, so uh, probably just because it's so, in a way, um, it's, uh, I don't know, it just felt kind of real to me, um, even though it, obviously is supernatural, but, um, the emotions seemed very real. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, now that you're mentioning that I, I did not, you know, know before, uh, either you or Tyler mentioned it earlier that originally those last two pieces were published together. But, um, the, I think I read the book over the course of about a week, you know, about a, a story a day. And then the last one, uh, I, I read both of those in one day, mostly because that last piece was so short that I'm right. like, I'll keep going, finish the book. And they really are very, very nice companion pieces in that way. And, you know, I personally, I'm glad that you decided that that's, that's where the, that's where the book should end. Uh, I yeah. really choice. I do remember when I I do remember thinking when I wrote it um, at the time back when it was originally published. I do remember thinking, you know what? I just put whoever's going to read this. I just put them through hell. Um, <laughs> I want to I want to I want to lighten I want to lighten up off the gas a little bit and maybe do something a little more whimsical. Um, and that's and which is so that's it was very purposeful. I I knew where that story was going to live when I wrote it. And I knew it was going to, I was going to live after fragile dreams. So, um, and yeah, not a lot of people read those stories. I was very, very happy to put them in the new collection because that book, uh, you know, was out. It didn't really sell very many copies. And then, and then it kind of went, you know, then it kind of went away. Um, everyone's pulled, you know, all those books were pulled out of print. So I'm very happy that Sacculina has been, uh, reprinted. I'm very happy that, um, those stories have now been reprinted. Um, so I kind of feel like, uh, pretty good, like nothing, everything I've published that I would want collected or available in some format is, is, you know, available. So that, that's, it's very satisfying. I feel kind of like it's been a very, very bumpy, you know, a choppy waters, you know, kind of ride right up until beneath the pal sky came out. And now I kind of feel like things are settling down a little bit and, um, and I can kind of move forward without thinking so much about the back, the back end. So if you guys are all right with it, I'd like to jump ahead to, well, actually it'd be going back with uh, Shiloh. Um, it's quite a while when the audio version came out, but it came out in this year, didn't it? The audio of Shiloh. Uh, yeah. Me and John Paget put it out. Um, yeah, earlier this year. His voice was perfect for that. I thought that he, to me, sounded like he could have been a soldier. It was just, like, kind of grisly enough to be a guy that's seen some shit. And, um, mm-hmm. But it's it, it pairs well with uh, your word choice. And I'm curious if, because I love history, too, and um, 
I'm curious how much research you had to put into that. And you picked Shiloh, obviously, for, I'm sure, for, I'm, I'm assuming now, I'm, for a specific reason. Why did you pick that battle? Um, so I had this, I had this, uh, you know, idea database um, where I just throw stuff. Um, and then when I get to a point where I have like, okay, I'm ready for a new project, I go back to that database and I kind of mine it and and I and I just kind of am constantly throwing stuff into it like I'll read something or I'll whatever hear something or see something that I'm like oh that'd be interesting or I dream something and it all goes into the the basket so one of the things that was in that basket I was I I had to I wanted to you know I wanted I was ready to write another to be honest with you now that I think about it I was commissioned to write a novella for a press that is no longer print you know no longer around Mm-hmm. And 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 they said, what what you know, what do you what ideas do you have? Can you pitch us an idea? And I pitched them Shiloh based on this this fragment of a piece of information, which arguably is lore, but the lore is during the Battle of Shiloh, um, there was this uh, reaction that the wounded soldiers had to a bacteria um, that was in that area and the bacteria when it interacted with the soldier's wounds would have like a green luminescence to it um and it actually had healing properties to it so he um it was like a miracle glow kind of thing and and no one really knew what it was until you know at some point you know modern history um, again, it's lore, but the lore is that a couple kids were doing a science project and they used that as their, what, what it was the green glow in during the battle of Shiloh. And they figured out that it was this bacteria that was in the fauna of the area. So, so that was the, uh, acorn that became the, the oak. Um, it was then, creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. Right. And so, but actually, if you read the story, yeah, that's still in the story very much, and and that's what the whole. But, but it's kind of almost like a secondary element, you know. Um, so, uh, but that was, but that was the. And then I just kind of, honest to God, the guy. I remember he PM'd me in Facebook, and he said, "Can you pitch me something?" And on the spot, I just said, "Well, da 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 da." There's a couple, you know, twin brothers. They're in the battle, and then here's Act One, and then in Act Two, you know they get injured and the one guy's seeing hallucinating and then in act three is this green glow situation. And, and, um, and he was like, I love it, you know? And then they ended up again, not going out of business or whatever. And so I had, I wrote wrote the story anyway, but to answer your question about the research, I researched it extensively. Mm. I read a lot of firsthand accounts from that battle. Uh, I read the Ambrose Bierce essay. I have a folder this thick, (laughs) of <laughs> uh, maps and notes and printouts i had when i was writing that story i think i actually had a picture i posted on my social media page where i just had my desk was covered in maps and notes and 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 the, the thing with that story is or any story like that is you don't realize how much how research intensive it's going to be until you start writing it because then you're like writing something 
and you're like, well, what was that called? And then you're like, I have to find out. And then you're writing something else. You're like, well, wait a minute, what kind of guns were they using? And wait a minute, what was the ammunition? And wait a minute, did they have cannons? And, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And what kind of, like, you know, what was the fauna like? And, and what was the land like? And wh- which way did the armies march? And who was the generals and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden it became like this huge, like, pr- you know, overwhelming almost project. And, um, but I was very focused on, I wanted it to be, factual I, I i really wanted it to be factual i i wanted it i didn't want to just write a sloppy horror story and make up a bunch of facts um i wanted to know what their underwear was called i wanted to know how they dressed i wanted to know what they called their shoes i wanted to know how they spoke you know what were some of the idioms they used so um so i was very and that's why i read a lot of the first-hand accounts because i wanted to read what the people who were there how they talked about it uh, um, what, you know, how, literally how they talked about it, but also how they described it, how it affected them. So, um, so it was an over, it was a massive amount of research. I hope I never have to write another civil war story ever again, because it was massive. And it took me, for me, it took me, a, it took a long time. I, it took me like two months to write that story, which for, for me, writing a novella is like, you know, I usually write them in two, two, three weeks. So that was a, that was a monster, but I, I really, really proud of that book. And I'm really proud of the way it, it came out. I, a lot of, you know, it's kind of gotten mixed reviews, I think, but, but it's one of those things where I don't even care because I just, I'm, I'm personally very satisfied with it. I'm really happy with it. Um, and so, so, and I know how hard I worked on it. And, um, so I'm, yeah, so I'm, I'm happy with, I'm happy with it. Like I said earlier, all you can do is, you know, you have to, if, do the best you can write the best story you can. If you really care about the story, if you really put the effort in, um, if you really try to make it the best story you can be and not half ass it and not phone it in. I, you know, I think 90% of the time that that comes through with readers, they realize this is like a, you know, this is like a thing, you know, this is not just a, you know, something that somebody popped out in a weekend. It's, it's something that somebody really invested themselves in. And I think that makes it a better reading experience. I agree. It's an excellent story, man. Um, I, I thought it was interesting how it was from a Southerner's point of view too, because normally I feel like a lot of civil war stuff is in the point of view of, uh, at least what I've watched is um, in the point of view of the, the winners. Uh, North. Yeah. the win- <laughs> Yeah. Not those losers that yeah. still are, yeah, a little I, bit. I'm not sure what my thinking was on that, other than I think I wanted these guys to be underdogs. Um, and I think that was kind of because that was a that was a bloody, bloody battle. And you know, people always talk about Gettysburg, but Shiloh was a was probably Shiloh was one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War, and it was the war. It was the battle when both sides realized because it was kind of an early battle. Both sides realized just how bad this was going to get. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it was a matter of like, you had these, you know, you had these Northern guys coming in on steamers and, you know, coming off in their blue uniforms and formation, you know, getting in their formations and, and you had these Southern dudes, you know, you know, hiding behind the trees, um, you know, screaming, you know, uh, screaming at them, uh, while they're, you know, running at them with their guns. So you know, so yeah, it was, it was a mismatch, but, but the South killed a lot of people and the North killed a lot of 
people and it was a, it was a bloodbath. And uh, one of the things I remember taking away from my reading of the firsthand accounts was two things. One was that the, the noise, the concussions of the cannons and the firing of the guns never stopped. Like it was like a constant background noise. Like it was just, it was literally nonstop. And I thought that was really interesting. And I, and I played a lot on that in the, in the, in the story. And the other thing was about how much blood there was, you know, people describe, again, this is factual first-hand accounts describing literally ponds of blood where the water had turned to blood and just literally walking through puddles of blood. And, and the third thing was how the trees burned, how the trees were always on fire. And they're basically, so you just kind of put it all together. It's, it's hellish, you know, it's, it's really hellish. You're talking about these guys fighting for their lives. You know, trees are burning all around them. There's blood all over the ground. You know, the, the, the cannons are firing nonstop. It's, 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 it's hellish and terrifying. So it was a great place to plant a little supernatural horror. My last comment on this book is that uh, story I was really um, infatuated with your description and you just talked about it, about how it's based off of first-hand accounts. But the way you describe, uh, they're basically focal points of that page, if you will. And I'm paraphrasing, but you described this one kid getting blown apart by uh, musket balls, by several musket balls, and it just turns into like red jello. I was like, oh, God, that's so fucked. Spoiler, the uh, Southerners lose. Yeah, yeah, but they almost did it, right? They almost pulled it off. They um, looked like they were going to win for a minute, they had a, and they, had a, they lost yeah, yeah, they, very badly. Early, early victory turned into a uh, – especially those guys. Those two, my two brothers did not – I didn't end well for them. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I tried to – you know, I used a lot of sound image uh, in that story. I, I wanted – like I just said, I wanted the reader to sort of get a feel for the sounds uh, they're experiencing. Um, so I, I have a lot of a, a lot of references to s- sound, and and uh, and I also tried to focus on small things. You know, I think early in the story, the sky is lightning because dawn is coming, and the one of the brothers looks down at his feet and he sees a purple flower. And little things like that. I, I wanted to really suck the reader in, so you know, so when, so when you know, chips are wood chips are flying off of the tree from a from a musket ball, and you know, stinging their face with the the needles of of the of the of the tree bark, you know, I, that's the kind of thing I wanted people to really feel it, really hear it. Um, and it was it was fun. It was a great experience writing that story. It was. It was something I hope I never have to do again, but I but I'm really glad I pushed through and got it done. Well, doing that kind of research is complicated, isn't it? Because it takes place in a in a time period for which there aren't uh, videos or a lot of photographs to study either. So, like you were saying, reading right. the firsthand accounts, that's all you can do is is read to research it. Yeah, no, I didn't. No, I didn't look at any. I, I mean, I may have looked at one or two photos just as I was researching, but no, it was just reading. I was just reading, um, what happened. And like I said, there's an Ambrose Bierce essay that's, which I, I, I use as an epigraph, um, at the head of that story part of it. But 
that essay is worth reading. His essay is worth really worth reading because it's it, it's a it's um it's an impressive piece of um, nonfiction. His firsthand account of that of that battle. Yeah, I, I I think it lends itself so well to the horror genre as well, just because you know you you describe the the scene as hellish and. You know, a lot of times hellish is just a synonym for real bad, but, you know, lakes of blood, trees on fire, you know, this con- constant explosions, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for you to say and weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, it's right. Yeah, <clears throat> you're just surrounded by this absolute hellscape. Um, it's it's wild, you know, and, and as far as you said earlier, where, you know, you hope slash feel like readers can tell just the amount of work uh, and the amount of passion, let's say, that went into this. I, I think that that's, you know, it's pretty easy when you read a book to discern that, uh, that this was, you know, hey, I've got a free weekend. I'm going to write a Civil War story versus, uh, you know, creating a labor of love, really putting in the work, uh, introducing the reader, you know, readers who are not super familiar with that to uh, a variety of new terms and, you know, language diction and all that. And somebody who is very knowledgeable about that period, uh, you know, sucking them in with the fact that you did your due diligence. So, I, I mean, I would imagine that that's clear in the, in the. It's story. clear to, it's clear to most readers. So I, I've gotten some, I've gotten some negative feedback from some good old boys who think them, think they're war historians and think that I'm a war his historical war author and who took 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 umbrage with maybe a couple of my facts and I was yeah well what do you expect they're probably uh, you know fucking idiots man if they're still toting that flag Shit so in mom's basement yeah John Paget by the way has this book I haven't read it yet but I hear great things it's called the the narrator for the audio version it's called The Secret of Ventriloquism, and I've heard very good things about it. It's friggin' yeah. creepy from what I hear. Super creepy. John's a great writer, and uh, yeah, that book. So that book is uh, that book is a is a big deal. Um, you should definitely, definitely take some time out of the next week of your life and read that book. It won't take you very long. Um, you can read it in a night, uh, and uh, it's 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 heavy stuff, man. It's it's intense. Yeah, let's see how many pages is that. It is well, hundred pages. Yeah, but it, it's not. It's not. It's it's a. Um, it's told as a. Um, uh, uh, an instructional manual, for how to learn how to be a ventriloquist, mm. and then. The directions get a little wonky. <sighs> that sounds we'll, pretty damn we'll cool. Say, we'll say yeah. Um, um, I would like to take us to uh, Boys in the Valley. Mm-hmm. Now, you 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 said this is coming out on Halloween night. Uh, well, probably Halloween morning. You could get it if you really wanted, but Halloween. You can get night. it now. You can get it now. Well, you can order it now. You can't get it now. You order it now. Um, now, you already told us a little bit about what went into it with you know your your ten thousand word finale. Uh, but give us a little synopsis for uh, potential readers. Oh yeah, so Boys in the Valley takes place at the turn of the century, the turn of the twentieth century. So it's nineteen oh five, I think, when when most of the action happens. Um, it's actually based somewhat loosely on a true 
not a true story, but it's based on real people, I guess I'll say. Uh, there were really kids in an orphanage in Pennsylvania uh, who were who were abused. So, um, so yeah, so it's about it's about a boys' orphanage um, in the very rural uh, area of Pennsylvania at the turn of the century, um, and um, one night uh, there is a, a group of men who come to the orphanage uh, with an injured uh person with them a badly injured person with them they want one of the priests of the orphanage who runs the orphanage to help save him because he was a medic in the civil war staying on topic um and uh and what happens is there is a uh an undefined evil that is released into the orphanage and into some of the kids and um, and so what ensues is basically uh, a struggle of um, between the the children who live the thirty children who live at St. Vincent's Orphanage, um, and uh, and that story the the story is ultimately it's it's definitely a horror story. It's very very brutal. Um, it's I I my elevator pitches. It's The Exorcist meets Lord of the Flies. Um, oh, I think God. I think Jeffrey Thomas referred to it as the thing meets the exorcist meets Lord of the Flies, but there is no monster. But um, but I but but there's a lot of suspicion. There's a lot of paranoia. Um, Spoiler, and, man. And they're and they're very contained, right? They're kind of they're sort of they're they're little kids stuck in this orphanage miles away from from society, and 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 um, and yeah, so. So there ends up being this sort of like, you know, conflict with the, the children. And but ultimately, the story is about, um, you know, about what you believe, um, about what you think matters. Um, and, um, you know, what you're willing to do for someone else. And that's those are really the themes of the story. And um, I, and I and based on early readers, I think that thankfully has gotten through. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so it's, it, that's, that's the basic, that's the basic setup. Um, and I'm, I'm really, really proud of that book. Um, and I'm really glad I'm to be working with Paul Miller at Earthling, uh, on doing a deluxe edition of it. Um, at some point down the road, I will definitely do a trade edition, um, you know, paperback and an ebook and the audiobook and the whole thing. Um, but that'll be a ways down the road. Um, uh, and, uh, Glenn Chadbourne, like I said, did the artwork for the cover, which is stunning. And, um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited. It's my debut novel. So I'm nervous. Um, I, you know, I'm nervous to see how it's received. And also I'm nervous because some of the people that have read it, I've gotten upset about it. Uh, and I gotten upset by it because, uh, it is very violent and it is very, um, uh, it's uh it's you know like i said it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty brutal i don't pull any punches in this book so um so so i'm you know hope, hopefully people will will enjoy it for what it is and um and you know i kind of look at it as um one of you know i kind of look at it as more of a almost like my cult movie or you know the the, the, the you know my my um my sort of cult story the story that i think maybe won't have a lot of mainstream um 
acceptance, but I think there's going to be a niche of people that I think will really, really dig it. Uh, and that that's kind of how I think of that story versus like the book I just finished, which is definitely targeted for a more mainstream audience. Um, so yeah, that's, that's boys in the Valley and, uh, and it's been selling really well. And, um, and I'm excited. For, I'm really excited for it to come out. I'm really excited to hear what people think of it. So, can't wait, man. That that sounds awesome, actually. Uh, sorry, man. Um, Earthling's doing a deluxe edition of it. Is it limited, or is it? Are they printing as many as people order? No, it's a it's a signed limited edition of 500 copies. Uh, so I think I spoke to Paul earlier this week, and I think there's a about 200 copies still on the available so about two-thirds of the way there but um but the book doesn't come out for a few months so um uh yeah hopefully people keep pre-ordering it and um but yeah no 500 copies that's it and uh like i said you know a couple people have asked about paperback editions because it is a pricey book it's 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 a 50 dollar book which i know is a lot of money um so um I definitely will um, be putting out another edition. The, the reason I haven't already planned something is because there's a lot of uncertainty right now in, a, in, in all the best ways as to what's going to happen uh, over the next year with some of my other work. So I'm kind of holding off on doing anything with that book because I really like this story. And I think um, and I want to give it the best. I want to give it its best shot at being successful so i'm just going to kind of play it out a little bit slowly and see what happens with maybe my next book and my next deal and then see what i i'll decide what to do with it at that point yeah so i mean if anybody uh wants if that story interests you and uh you like stories that don't pull punches uh you can go to earthlingpub.com and grab one of those last 200 copies yeah please do yeah, so uh, that that sounds like I said, fantastic. That definitely checks off some of the boxes that I love. Um, let's jump to what are you reading? So, Philip, what are you currently reading? Well, you know, I've been reading a lot this year. Um, I've been reading a lot of uh, work for authors for like blurbs and stuff like that. So, I haven't really read a lot of stuff that's out. <laughs> frankly, uh, I you know, like I read Josh Mallerman's upcoming novel which is was a thousand page whopper and um <laughs> and i've read stephen graham jones novel and i've read so i and i uh which is very good um and josh's novel is very good but they're just not out yet oh so um um right now i'm reading though i i did take a little i'm reading matt cardin's book of essays that's coming out on Hi hippocampus press uh later in the year that's really excellent he's a such a great writer great essayist and a great fiction writer as well um I just finished Seb Dubinsky's um, novel that's coming out soon. Um, I'm reading uh, Quentin Tarantino's book right now uh, for pleasure. Um, mm. I, I needed a little, you know, just kind of wanted to read something for fun. Um, what do you think of it so far? It's 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 exact. It's it's fine. It's 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 unoffensive. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's good. I mean, it's what look. It, you know. Uh, is he, you know, am I, you know, making notes about how beautiful the, the prose is? No, but, um, but is it, I'm a big fan of the movie. So for me, it's a lot of fun to read the book because he basically just, 
it's basically, uh, you know, it's it's basically a, a novelization of the screenplay, right? So, I mean, that's literally what it is. But it's um, it reads very much like the movie. He did move some stuff around, which I thought was interesting. He gives some background into a couple things, characters that weren't, you know, you wouldn't know from watching the movie, which is interesting. Um, uh, but I, I'm really enjoying it. I, if you're a fan of the movie. Uh, you should definitely read this this book. It, it, it's it's definitely. I'm gonna. My plan is to read the book and then watch the movie again, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, and I'm reading Falling, uh, and I'm reading um, uh, uh, what's the other one? I can't remember. Oh, what's the other book I'm reading? Oh, I know. Good Neighbors. Oh, uh, Sarah Langan. Sarah Langan's book, yeah. So I, I, I have like a stack of like seven or eight books. I'm always kind of like, you know, reading parts of. I, I'm very bad. I'm a very, very bad, like linear reader. I, I'm, I jump around a lot. So I usually have like a dozen books or so that I'm reading at any one time. But like I said, most of the reading I've been doing has been for, for, for other writers um, this year. I haven't done a lot of. Uh, you know, just reading for fun. Um, but those are all, all those titles I mentioned are all, are all books worthy. I'm, I'm very excited to get, uh, um, S a Cosby's, uh, Sean Cosby's uh, book, uh, razor blade tears. I just got a notification today that it's finally on its way to me. So, uh, I will be devouring that when it arrives. That's my, that's the book I'm looking forward to the most this year. So I'm excited to read it. Excellent. Well, I hope you enjoy it, man. Have you read it? I have. Yeah. Oh, you're lucky. I mean, I will tell you, I, I, I don't know if this is everyone's experience, but I didn't think it could top Blacktop Wasteland, but I liked it better. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Blacktop Wasteland was was a great for me. I love those like uh, hard-boiled thrillers, man. I, I live for them. He made an instant uh, American classic. Tyler, what, what, are, uh, what are you currently reading? Uh, good question. I am reading a book called The Diver's Game by Jesse Ball. Maybe What's you guys that about? Je Jesse Ball, he's, um, I'll show you the cover. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, he's a really unique writer. He's, he's, kind of poetic but sort of um what's the word i'm looking for he, he writes almost fables like dystopian fables oh, interesting yeah he's a he's a he's not for everybody but i really love find his style interesting and he, he gets you thinking cool nice uh brennan what are you reading man i am um almost halfway through rosemary's baby by ira levin uh, and I have just hit the point where it gets real messed up. Uh, <laughs> and I'm enjoying the hell out of that. That's an interesting book. You know, people who have you know seen the movie and have not read the book are think they know what they're getting into with the book, and they don't. That book's wild, and it's uh, it's an interesting read. Uh, yeah, I like that book a lot. The, the ending of that <laughs> book is nutters, but I really liked it. I like the buildup. I mean, because it's there's a little um, now I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but 
it's, you know, a little off-putting, but relatively normal for about 70, 75 pages. And then all of a sudden you're just like, you know, you, you pick up on little things here and there that are just odd and strange. And then all of a sudden you're just, you're thrown into it, you know, you're, yeah. it, he doesn't ease you in after, uh, after that first, you know, 75 pages. Well, you know, in your hand. it's interesting that you bring it up because we were just talking about the Quentin Tarantino book and, and, uh, and he act, what's interesting about the Tarantino book, at least to me is he spends large chunks of time talking about movies, um, and going into like a lot of details about like movies and stuff like that, which is sometimes he goes a little, you know, off the deep end, but you don't always talking about, but, 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 but sometimes it's really fascinating. And, and, um, and he talks a lot about Roman Polanski, of course, who was in, in, once upon a time in Hollywood, and he gives him the background to the Rosemary's Baby, uh, when he, which was his big breakout film, right? And um, and just that he didn't want, and I hope I'm not screwing it up, but he didn't want to make it a horror movie, and so oh, I'm sorry, no, I know what it was. He didn't want to make. He was he was uh, he's very he was very anti-religion, and so he didn't want to do all the religious stuff, and so they. So the way he directed the film was less as um, a devil versus a devil god thing. Uh, and, and but I hope I don't think spoilers are an issue with Rosemary's Baby. You haven't seen it. That's your fault. And 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 um, <laughs> and more about like the psychology of the Mia Farrow character. You know, is her paranoia is it all, is it all in her mind? Is this, you know, are there really Satanists living in the apartment next door? Is her baby really the Antichrist? And or is she having, you know, post, you know, nail depression or is she crazy? So that was kind of the way he made the film. That was kind of the way he went, approached the movie. And even though there's that one like blink and you miss it flash at the end of the film, uh, revealing what the child is, and they are really Satanists, obviously, but. For the most part, he tried to play it straight uh, because he was so anti the religion angle, which I thought was, he, I think, is the, according to Quentin Tarantino, believe it or not, um, he was, he said, I, I don't believe in God, so how can I believe in the devil? And so that was kind of how he went into it. But they really wanted him to do the movie because he was coming in hot off of the, his other movie. So they let him do it the way he wanted to do it. Then it worked out. It's kind of like the shark not working all the time when they were filming Jaws. It ended up being a positive, right? <laughs> I, I just finished uh, Rosemary's Baby today, and that was the first time I read it. And I'm on the borderline of saying I loved it, but I really liked it. And I've only seen bits and pieces of the movie. Going to make sure you watch it before uh, we read that. We read that for. Our other show, I'm burying uh, the dead. Yeah, the ending of that. I won't. I, I won't give this way, but the ending of that book, I thought was very. The book was very interesting. I thought the way he dealt with that. It gets. It's different than the movie. Focus. It gets so crazy, so weird, and the whole time I'm. I'll just leave it at this with my only comment about how. I think most, at least, American women. I can't speak outside of this country, would not do what Rosemary. Did because uh, Rosemary would tell the guy to go fuck himself in the first chapter. Yeah, right. Well, it's set in the fifties or whatever, right? So, so yeah, yeah. things were. It's Different hard to times. read. It's it's sometimes it's hard to read those those mid century books, you know, because 
to your point, well, for 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 those reasons, but you know, for societal reasons, where it's 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 uncomfortable to read, you know, uh, but also, you know, race and prejudice and sexism and all that stuff that they they were so horrible back then and we're so great now. Um, <laughs> that's a joke, but um, but but even the style, right, is like really weird. Like like the style of that book is 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 you have to kind of it takes a minute to kind of get into his 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 groove, you know. Uh, yeah. Those guys were. I mean, those writers, those writers during that period of, you know, everyone had kind of their own style, right? They had, and they're very, prose was so much more stylized back then. And now it's, 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 it's a little more cookie cutter, but, um, but, but uh, yeah, they, they were kind of writing in very like psycho. If you read psycho, if you haven't read that book, that's a weird book to read because it's told in a very almost abstract fashion. Um, You know, it's not like, written like a, a, a movie it's not written like a linear narrative it's, it's really weird uh, how he wrote it i thought it was really interesting um i really you know, I, I love that book man much more I about mean, impressions i guess yeah um yeah and it's also of its time uh rosemary's baby because every time they refer to black people they call them negroes and they refer to a japanese character as the japanese like just hmm. the singular they use a plural for a sing. It's weird. Yeah. So all that stuff makes and, me incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> really. Oh, it is. It is. It, it, it is. It is an uncomfortable subject because uh, you know for obvious reasons. But I'm just pointing it out for anyone yeah. that isn't aware. Um, yeah. Know. Well, when you go back even further, it gets worse. So you know. Yeah. You're into Mark Twain territory, and you're all of a sudden like, "Oh my god." <laughs> so. Brennan, did I cut you off, or are you, done, are you done listing off what you're reading? No, just the one for me tonight. Okay, so on top of that, uh, I'm finishing up Rooster. I'm like 50% in that, and uh, I like it. It's a fun book. And, um, and that's coming out tomorrow, right? Yep. There's, a, there's another book that's coming out tomorrow, too. Chuck Wendix. <laughs> Slattery Falls by Brennan LaFaro. Yep. <laughs> oh, congratulations, book. Brennan. I'm to hear this episode. <laughs> That's great, man. Congrats. I think Thanks. I saw you. I think I saw you. Uh, I think I saw you tweeting about it. Oh, I've been noxious, so you might have. Yeah. It's a great uh, it's book. An, it's an excellent book. Yeah. So this, it'll, it'll be it'll be out by the time this airs. So for those listening, check it out. Patrick. <laughs> Sorry, my sound. I just lost sound for a minute. What, what um, were you guys saying? Nothing. Throwing it back nothing. to you. Sorry about that. Yeah, I don't know what just happened. <laughs> so, uh, listeners, if you want, you can go to deadheadspace.com. You can check out articles, reviews, a whole lot more. There's even a store where you click on the store tab and you can get the logo on masks, coffee mugs, and so forth. So, uh, Philip, where can people follow you? Um, can I plug a couple more things? Anything you want, sir. Um, so, Boys in the Valley is coming out Halloween. Before Boys in the Valley, uh, I have a book of poetry coming out uh, called Tomorrow is Gone. Uh, Hybrid Sequence Media is putting that out. So that's coming out, I think, probably September-ish in the fall. I have a novella called Commodore 
which is a very scary novella um, illustrated by a guy named Brian Vox. The illustrations are amazing. Uh, that's coming out probably in early September, late August. Nice. And then uh, next summer, I, um, I just this just got announced actually. I'm going to be um, coming out with a a, a big novel uh, on Skyhorse uh, Skyhorse Imprint, Tales Press, and they're gonna. It's called A Child Alone with Strangers. Um, it's like a 600 and currently a 650 page horror novel. Mm. Um, so that's that's my big novel next year, and then I'll also be coming out with a children's book. Um, called uh, The Boy with the Blue Rose Heart uh, at some point, probably in the first half of next year. And then hopefully that third collection will find a home as well. Um, and, um, and yeah, and, but all that stuff is available uh, uh, on my website, which is pfracassi.com, P-F-R-A-C-A-S-S-I.com. And all my books are listed there and all, what's, well, all what I got coming up and all my stories are listed there with links if there's available links and stuff like that. So that's the best place to go. Excellent. Um, and <laughs> that's a lot coming out in the next year. That's awesome, man. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah. And I, and I have another novel that's being shopped around right now called Gothic and I'm hoping finds a home. And then I just finished last week. I just finished, uh, a brand new novel, which is my first thriller, um, called the blue butterfly, which I'm hoping is the first in a trilogy. Uh, so, uh, really hoping that finds, um, a home, uh, in the next, uh, three, four or five months. Uh, my agent will pro probably start shopping it in, um, September. I'm going to turn it in in about a week. And, and then I got a couple stories have been optioned for film. So, um, I, you know, there, those will probably be announced in the upcoming weeks and months as well. So some really, really fun stuff happening. Uh, over the next um, year or so. It's awesome, man. Well, congratulations, and we'd have to get you back on a third time, apparently. Uh, we'll have to do it again next 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 summer. We'll make it an annual thing. <laughs> next, that wasn't even planned. That's the funny part. Yeah, for the for Child Alone with Strangers. That's a that's going to be that's sort of my um, that's sort of my big swing of the bat. You know what I mean? That's sort of like my uh, my first big uh, my first my first shot at the trade novel. Uh, you know, world. So, um, hoping that one does well. Well, just the synopsis for that one sounds phenomenal. So, congrats on that, Philip. Yeah, thanks. I'm excited because um, it's a big book, and um, and uh, I got a lot of pushback about cutting it down, um, and I and I and I didn't want to do that. I really, I. I Everyone who's read it has been like, yeah, it reads fast, it reads fine. And, um, and so I'm very happy about doing the book with Taylor's Press and the editor there um, that I'm working with because they're going to allow me to keep it basically as, you know, as it is as far as the, the, the majority of the book. You know, there'll be tweaks, obviously, but, but it's going to stay the length and it's going to stay the book that I wrote. So I'm, I'm really happy because I think if the negative about you know, not having sold it to a bigger publisher is that it probably won't get the marketing push that, you know, uh, some books get with the bigger presses, but the positive is it's the book that I want to put out there. So, um, I think, I don't think I would have had that opportunity if it had been a, a bigger mainstream publisher. I think they would have made me cut it, um, significantly. So yeah, so I'm excited about, the, about that book coming out next summer for sure. That's, 
that's what I'm definitely uh, on pins and needles about. That's awesome, man. I'm really happy for you. So, uh, fellas, final thoughts. Let's start with the guest. Philip. what are your final thoughts? Oh, man, I have so many. Um, I don't know if I have any. I don't know. Uh, goodwill to man, goodwill to men and, uh, um, tr- you know, be nice to your kids. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no, you know, I mean, I just, I, anyone who's listening to this, who's, a, who's, who's, who's a big enough fan to get through an hour of me yapping about my books. Um, you know, I just would like, I just want to say that I just hope that they entertain you. I hope that it gives you a couple hours of joy here and there. Um, and that's that's all that's that's my best case scenario. Um, so so I just hope people like the stuff and enjoy the stuff. And you know we shouldn't fail to mention you know we're talking about Tyler's got stuff coming out too. So um, there's a lot of great work hitting you know uh, hitting the streets and um, there's a lot of stuff great stuff to read. So I'm very excited to have to have people reading reading the work and uh, and I, you know, I hope it makes people happy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. A lot of awesome stuff. Um, Ruth, when's that come out, man? Was it seeing Ruth? Almost Ruth. Almost Ruth. Almost had Almost it. Ruth. Almost Ruth. Uh, yeah, I'm aiming aiming for first or second week of September right now. So soon. That is soon. When are you, when are when are your um when are the uh, reissues of the novellas coming out? Uh, the original plan was to release them all at the same time, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna put those out late August. Oh, and then and then put out almost Ruth, like maybe two weeks after that. Okay, that's yeah, that's right around the corner, man. That's coming up. <laughs> it's indeed coming up. <laughs> so and perfect, so, perfect segue wait, for you, Tyler. Final thoughts for final final thoughts. Uh, so I'm a I'm a big fan of Philip Fracassi. I have been for years. In fact, um, the first time I reached out to you, uh, we had never really talked. I just sent you an email because you said you had some signed books available, and I ordered a few. Um, so it's it's cool to be here. I think that was maybe three years ago mm. in this in this spot chatting with you. So my thanks to Patrick and Brennan for letting me have a chance to chat and uh, pick your brain a little bit. So beneath the pale sky. Fantastic collection. If you like stories that give you chills, make you think, hit you, hit you in the feels, this is an excellent book to pick up. And if this is your first, if you do pick it up and you enjoy it, and this is your first Fracassi book, go back and look at all the other stuff he has so you can be ready for the stuff he's got coming out. It's like the year of Fracassi. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that'd be a cool title. I tell you, man, it's a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's been a year and a half of me sitting sweating in an office writing my brains out and now it's like now uh everything's kind of hitting at the same time with which i have no control over it just happens to be the way it all fell into place but um yeah it's fun but it's also it's a smidge smidge stressful but it's but it's 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 fun i just you worry that you overwhelm people but and 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 i and you know and i'm to reciprocate i'm a big fan of tyler's he'll tell you Tyler's novellas. I was very, very blown away by those by those stories. So I'm very excited for this uh, collection, which I have not read yet. Which hopefully we're going to correct at some point soon. But um, but uh, yeah, Tyler's a great writer. So pick up his work. Well, uh, thank you, Philip. 
he's the third time he's going to be on this year is uh, his solo episodes. <laughs> so we'll be talking a lot about that. He did tell me and Brennan that he's going to be portraying one of his characters from a book he won't mention ahead of time. So I guess we got to interesting. I guess we got to do our homework. Will you be in costume or what? I don't know. <laughs> What's going to happen? Pat- <laughs> What's happening is Patrick's a he's a. A habitual liar. I, I wouldn't believe oh. the word he says. <laughs> Coming from the no, guy who said he wrote The Shining. <laughs> no one understands that reference. Okay, we got to move on. Brennan, final thoughts. Uh, you know, Philip, thank you for your time. And uh, I, I would echo everything Tyler said about Beneath the Pale Sky. I don't think I could say it better, so I won't. I'll leave, I'll leave his words to describe it. Excellent book. Um, congratulations on all the stuff, you know, you've got coming out, uh, boys in the Valley and I won't name everything else cause I'll forget half of it. But I mean, it, it is, it's the year of Fracassi. I've got, um, uh, the bad book coming in the mail tomorrow, John Taft's book. You oh, got yeah. a story that we didn't even talk about that because there's just so much going on for you. So <laughs> may it continue. Yeah. Yeah. And I got a story in that, um, humans are. Humans are the problem, I think it's called. I actually wrote a story about the blob that's coming out. I think that's coming out in September too. But that blob I wrote a blob story. It was it's a lot of fun. It's called Aquarium Diver. Can you keep up with how much shit you got coming out now, man? Uh, you know, I I it's, uh, it, I don't mean it's not obnoxious, but I can't not really. I, I have a spreadsheet and I keep, <laughs> I do and my and I get cuz I cuz I forget because yeah. uh, I have this is because I also have, um, you know, I have, you know, uh, translation deals. So I have a couple books coming out in Spain. Uh, nice. Uh, Behold the Voids coming out I'm sorry, in Italian. Um, uh, Independent Legions Press and, and, and Beneath the Pale Skies coming out in Spain, I think, early next year. And I have a, and Czechoslovakia is also putting it out i think they're doing a novel i think they're doing boys in the valley and um so yeah so it's 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 kind of a lot but um but it's it's a great it's great i'm 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 really i've i feel very blessed i i i also feel you know I've, I've worked really hard you know um i've had a lot of you know a lot of rejections uh you know um and uh, i try to always keep a positive mm-hmm. public persona i try to always uh accentuate the the victories so that people hopefully are inspired and um and uh but yeah it, it's it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of work it's in it and it's a lot and it's it's it can be heartbreaking you know i've i've, I've had a, you know before i landed my novel with talos i was turned down by two dozen other publishers so you just have to keep going you have to just persevere you have to believe in yourself and you have to work. I mean, that's the, you know, I, I got a PM from a guy the other day and he was like, you know, I, you, you know, he's like, you're, you're doing a lot of great work. How, well, how do I do that if I don't have the connections that you have? And I'm like, what connections? You mean the, because the, the 14th person said yes, doesn't mean that he's a connection. It means that I had to go through 13 rejections to get to the 14th person. <laughs> so, um, so it's just, it's just gotta be persistent and you can't, you can't get too down. You can't get too up. Um, and you just got to, you got to put the blinders on and, and, uh, and write the best stories you can. And, and, and hopefully, um, you get lucky and some people want to, want to, you know, help you get it out there. That's, it's that simple. 
Perseverance, hustle, good attitude. I agree. Yeah, yeah. So my final thoughts are, Philip, it's a real pleasure to talk to you again. Um, the first time we had him on was when he had a very successful Kickstarter for Black Lives Matter, um, where it was horror writers donating to it. It reached 25000 I don't know, in a week. Yeah, and you know, that's still live. Um, and really? People, and people can still donate to that. And it's actually not the worst thing to mention because um, – Maybe you could put a link to, to it or something because if you Google Black Lives Matter and uh, uh, GoFundMe and my name, it'll come up. And uh, because, you know, with all the voter suppression nonsense that we're dealing with, because um, all the money for that goes to um, the Legal Defense Fund, uh, you know, who, who fight for, for, for rights of, um, of people. So uh, they're right at the forefront of voter rights and, and, and fighting a lot of those oppressive oppressive laws that are being passed. So um, yeah, it still exists, man. Go, go throw five bucks at it. Cause yeah, that's, all the money goes, when you donate, it's not like a Kickstarter where like it has to be to a thing and then it's one big check. As soon as you donate, it goes straight through. So, um, so it's, it, that's why, I, that's why I just kept it live because people every now and then I get an email that somebody threw some money at it. So I just left it up. Excellent. Yeah. That, okay. Good point. That will be in the show notes. Thank whatever. you. Yeah, uh, for whatever you watch or listen to this, just check it out. It'll be there. Um, and Tyler, as always, man, you know how much I love you, so I appreciate you being here. And you know what? Uh, Brandon and I talk about, you know, who's going to be a guest host for this and that. It's not random. You know, that one makes sense. We uh, Tyler made it very clear that he's a huge fan of you, uh, Philip. So I'm trying to do my horror, my horror face effect. He's doing Ramsey Campbell. You're doing good. <laughs> My wife gave me this thing because she's like, you put it on the thing and it makes you look nice. And I'm like, well, wait a second. What if I do this? Then it's really cool. You look very nice. Very, right? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you have to edit in some creepy music right there, Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> I might just do that. And uh, Brennan, as always, I appreciate you, man. Um, listeners, we appreciate you maybe the most. Not sure. We can still talk, so. But the numbers are nice, too. So thank you. <laughs> next episode. Episode 109 is with John C. Foster. It airs next Monday. Uh, what will we talk about? Not even Brandon and I know yet because we have not recorded that. But we will talk about Rooster, amongst other things. So stay tuned for that. Listeners, thank you, as always, for picking us. Deadhead space. Everyone ready? I didn't say hi to Brennan yet. Hey, Brennan. Oh. Oh, hey, Brennan. <laughs> Maybe I thought you did, but you were just echoing too hard for me to hear you. Hi, Brandon. That's, <laughs> dibs on the band name echoing hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we should leave all that stuff with me trying to figure out my earbuds. That was pretty good. That's that's good content. That wasn't recorded. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the stuff people come in for.